Hi everyone and happy Monday to you. This week is an extra special week for me. It is my birthday week. I'll be 35 on Saturday. So in honor of that and in honor of the fact that there are a whole host of good nonfiction books to look forward to coming very soon, here is my top 10 list of books I'm looking forward to devouring in the near future. So ironically, number 10 on my list was co-written by none other than today's guest on the show, Kathy Iandoli. She, along with Lil' Kim, wrote the memoir, The Queen Bee, about the iconic rapper. This book was originally slated to come out in November, but I just learned that its release date has been pushed back to March 22nd, 2022. After you hear today's interview with Kathy, I can guarantee you'll want to read anything she writes, even if we might have to wait a little longer for it. Number nine is Glitter Every Day by Andy Cohen. In this book, which comes out November 2nd, Andy shares 365 days of quotes from women he loves. I've actually already read this book, and I can tell you it's great daily motivation from the likes of a whole slew of fabulous women. At number eight is Dave Grohl's memoir, The Storyteller, Tales of Life and Music. Dave, of course, is known for his work with Nirvana and the Foo Fighters, and this book comes out October 5th. Number seven is another memoir, this time by model Emily Ratajkowski. Her book, My Body, hits shelves November 9th. Will Smith's much-anticipated memoir, Will, is my number six pick, followed by Dwayne by Dwayne Wade at number five. Will's book drops November 9th and Dwayne's the next week on November 16th. If you caught the inauguration last January, you no doubt remember poet extraordinaire Amanda Gorman. Her book of poems, Call Us What We Carry, is out December 7th and comes in at number four for me. Number three fits right in with my royal family obsession. The book is Brothers and Wives by well-known biographer Christopher Anderson, and it chronicles the ongoing saga between brothers Prince William and Prince Harry and their wives, Kate and Meghan, respectively. I actually co-host another podcast about the royal family, Podcast Royal, and Mr. Anderson will be a guest on that show talking about this book, which comes out November 30th. Getting close to the top now, number two is Katie Couric's memoir, Going There, out October 26th. Katie is one of the primary inspirations for my getting into journalism, and I can't wait to read her full story. And finally, the number one book I am looking forward to is none other than Dr. Brene Brown's latest, Atlas of the Heart, out November 30th. I have devoured every book by Brene Brown, and I know this will be no exception. I have a couple of other recommendations of books out now to share with you that I have read and loved. The Raw, Vulnerable Memoir, You Got Anything Stronger by Gabrielle Union, and The Fascinating Travels with George by Nathaniel Philbrick, both of which were just released last week on September 14th. 
So now I'm thrilled to introduce you to Kathy Iandoli, a longtime music journalist and author of the Can't Put It Down Baby Girl, better known as Aaliyah, a book about not only a supremely talented woman, but also from all accounts, a beautiful soul taken far too soon at age 22, 20 years ago in a plane crash. Take a listen to our conversation. We have so much to talk about today. Welcome to the show, Kathy. Thanks for having me. So Kathy, my mouth was hanging open so often during the reading of this bombshell of a book. It's so, so good. I don't even know where to begin. So seeing as though we are upon the 20 year anniversary this month of Alia's passing, I know you recount it in the book, but tell me where you were when you found out that she had died at the age of 22 in a plane crash in the Bahamas, August 25th, 2001. So it was um, pretty late at night when I found out. I was in um, a diner parking lot, the Six Brothers Diner in Little Falls, New Jersey. (laughs) Um, And I was in the parking lot and I just finished dinner with one of my friends and um, I was walking to my car and he was... And he, you know, he started up his car and, you know, he had one of those like Acura Integra's ones with the heavy, like the big, like, uh-huh. and over the, I hear him yell to me, Hey, I, I, I think Aaliyah died in a plane crash. And the thing was right before that, when he turned on the radio, I heard Angie Martinez's voice mm-hmm. and she, that wasn't her shift which sounded weird to me at that point where I was like, huh, but you know, I, I just was kind of like walking and that's when he's like, Hey, I think Aaliyah died in a, a plane crash. And like, I, it was like full stop. And I turned around and I was like, what? So I walk over to his car and I get in the passenger seat and we're listening. And, you know, I, I just remember feeling this wave of anxiety and sadness. And I was just, I was so overwhelmed and I kind of like stumbled back to my car in shock and I drove home and I was like sobbing. I was like going through each radio station and they're playing her music. And I remember I got home and my eyes were like swollen shut practically Mm -hmm. from crying so much. And my mother was like, what happened? Right. Because you're a huge fan. I was like, you're a huge fan. Yeah. Huge fan. And I was like, Aliyah died and you know my mom looked at me like in this way of like understanding so much of um how I was feeling in that moment because she understood so much how much I adored Aliyah like and then I walk into my room and I have her pictures all over my walls and I'm just sitting there like now mind you I had already been working in the music industry Mm -hmm. so it was it was a different experience for me being kind of like this active member of the industry, but also just a diehard fan who had just finished college mm-hmm. and was Alia's age. Mm. You know? I didn't realize I, you were her age. Yeah, we're born a month apart. Oh, wow. So. That's a whole I, other level of like mm-hmm. realizing your mortality. Yeah. And I mentioned in the book, I was like, you know, I, I graduated college. My life was just beginning and hers had ended. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, it was awful because I grew up with her, you know, mm-hmm. um, I saw her the back and forth video when it premiered on MTV in 94. 
And two years later, I started working at a record store. And one of the first CDs I bought with my discount was one in a million, Wow! you know? Um, and these are the things you think about, you know, over the years. And, and they all came back to me when I was writing the book as well, because she soundtracked so much of my life, but there was so much about her that was also just so aspirational. Mm -hmm. So I was going to ask you, what was it about her? Not, not even as her biographer now, but as, as just a fan, as a young woman in 2001, what drew you to her? Aliyah was the difference. Because if you look, if you think about all of the, the stars, like the R&B and pop stars of that era, right? They were all, um, they were all very descript. These, this wasn't a nondescript pop era. You had to be known for a very specific aesthetic. Think about Brandy with her big hat and her suspenders, yeah. you know, or even Britney Spears, um, like the entry point in the school uniform. Things, they, there was a lot of costuming, you know, going on with how we treated our female pop and R&B stars, right? Mm -hmm. And especially in R&B, you're coming out of the New Jack Swing era, like, well, gradually coming out because she entered almost at the heart of it. But right. the goal was individuality, even though these artists were a part of a greater movement that was happening. But it's like, how do you separate yourself from all of these artists that are carrying a very similar tune, right? Mm -hmm. With Aaliyah, you know, and I'm not even speaking about 94, 95. I don't even think about that era when I think about the true Aaliyah aesthetic. Mm -hmm. You know, I think about 96 to 2001. Same here, actually. Al yeah, Aaliyah was, Aaliyah appeared to be a person who woke up every morning and picked out her own clothes, right? Mm -hmm. decided who she wanted to be every day. And I don't think every other star of that time period did that. Yeah. You yeah, know, because they were so controlled by whether it was their, the record company or their manager or whoever. Well, and she also like from the, that, that point was like, no, this is who I am. And the reason why I know that is because we made such a big deal out of the exceptions when she wore a dress to the Oscars. Mm, when yeah. she wore a dress in the are you that somebody video right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because there were so um these were like so many like these were very specific exceptions yeah it's you knew that that the the person every day was who she truly was yeah and yeah. i love that i want to tell you my finding out story so i was almost 15 i was uh, my birthday's in september it's actually september 25th so one month exactly from being 15, I spent the night at my friend Amber's house. We fell asleep as we often did with the radio on. I don't know why we did that, but we did. And when we woke up the next morning, we heard the DJ and I'm in Kansas. So I'm not, you know, oh. I'm like I'm, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Um, and so it takes a little bit longer for the news to make it out to us. And we heard the DJ say it over the airwaves. And I, I like you, I was gutted. Um, just so much talent and promise gone in an instant. It, it was devastating. I remember that day, like it was, yes, like it, it, for me, it's one of those moments that's like, you know, like I assume like JFK would have been for a, a generation prior. And I know that, you know, one was a singer and an entertainer and one was a president, but still it's just the impact of the person, you know, on, on your life. And, and she had a huge impact on, on my life. And I know she did on yours as well. 
Um, so, okay, without giving away all of the book's juicy secrets, I want to talk about this off the top. So maybe one of the biggest jaw-dropping moments that I had while reading this book was that someone had given Aaliyah a pill, and I want to clarify this in no uncertain terms. We don't know if it was Advil or something stronger. You do not say what type of pill it is. I just want to like underscore that. Um, she was basically loaded onto the plane, knocked out. So she hated small planes, you write, and had anxiety about this entire Bahamas trip. She maybe had a sixth sense or something where she'd flown down to film, of course, the Rock the Boat music video. But you write that she wanted to be a team player and she flew down anyway. And for the return trip from the Bahamas back to the United States, she didn't like the look of the airplane. And then in comes the pill. So um, you write, Aaliyah didn't even know she was being put on a plane. And the plane, which of course was overloaded with people and luggage, grossly overweight, crashed on takeoff. There were no survivors in the, in the crash. And it turns out that a simple luggage swap, as you write, to another plane could have saved everyone's life. And I found this um, disturbing and shocking. Three weeks after the crash, the FAA inspector responsible for clearing the flight committed suicide. So I mean, whoa, that's so much to take in. So what if that information and that reporting was new to you? And did any of it surprise you when you were researching and writing the book? Because the pill thing shocked me. Like my jaw was on the floor. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there were the pieces of the story that we were fed in 2001 were dramatically different from what I had learned in putting it all together and speaking with people who were actually in the Bahamas at the time, coupled with what had happened in the years that unfolded, um, that followed. So a few things, you know, I definitely don't say in this book that it was a sleeping pill. Um, mm -hmm. I don't specify the type of pill. I also don't specify that she was completely knocked out. Rather, she had taken a nap and was kind of escorted on the plane, unaware of what was going on. Yeah. Now, I'll present a couple different sides to this. Mm -hmm. Could have been an Advil. She had a terrible headache. She had taken a nap and somebody kind of woke her rather quickly and said, hey, this is going to have to happen. Come on. And kind of, you know, pulled her on the plane. Or it was, in fact, a sleeping pill. Um, we don't know that, though. We don't know that, though. And... Or, or it was a piece of lint. I don't know what the, regardless of what went into her hands and what was taken with the cup of water that my witness handed her, mm -hmm. the reality is she did not want to get on the plane. Now, in 2001, we were told Aaliyah really wanted to get home. She wanted to see Damon Dash. She was in a rush. She had some things to do. She had to film for MTV soon. She was having a busy week ahead of her and she demanded, 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 demanded. Okay. I was angry when I learned about that back in 2001. Mm. Yeah. I, in my, in my head and in my heart, I was like, I don't understand how someone who very actively hated flying Mm -hmm. and looked at this tiny plane I couldn't I couldn't wrap my head around her saying this is perfect let's go that that just never sat right with me so when they explained in in all of this like coverage how how adamant she was about boarding the flight you know it really upset me so to learn that she didn't want to get on the plane that's an entirely different thing to unpack the other thing is this that plane had a weight limit that didn't factor in a full tank of gas, okay? Mm -hmm. That didn't factor in 
any passenger having an ounce of luggage. And the cargo that was placed upon that plane to take off that day on August 25th, when that cargo arrived in the Bahamas, it required two flights with no passengers to carry it. That's how heavy the cargo was. Mm -hmm. And they packed all of it onto that plane in addition to an entire team of people. So what I learned in those reports that the median weight of every person in order to survive was roughly 70 pounds. And one of them, her bodyguard was over 300 pounds. Over 300 pounds, exactly. There was no way that this was going to work. And everyone at the airport who worked there including this pilot who ever do it he was and, he refused at first yes and we kind of we kind of created this story where we were angry at him like we we looked at this like it was some sort of drunk driving accident right mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. everybody talks about the toxicology report about what was in his system from partying uh, partying the night before Mm-hmm. But I'm learning now that even this man did not want to fly this plane. Now, like adamantly so, did not adamantly. Want to fly the plane. It's his life too. He died too. <clears throat> he did. He did. And the other thing is, he's not on the license for the plane. Okay, he um he wasn't even certified to fly. The person who owned the uh, the airline or the plane. Um, plane company, I guess <laughs> those yeah. planes are so small. I don't, I don't, I don't want to equate them with like Delta or whoever, whoever chartered it. Chartered yes. it. Mm-hmm. So the, the address of the company pointed back to his house oh, and wow. then there was another airline that claims to have been called and canceled. And then another one replaced it. <clears throat> and that airline's address was also his house. And the attorney that he employed to, or retained rather, to defend him in this case is an attorney who is known to cover up plane crashes. Oh, wow. So there's a lot of dirtiness around the situation. And I will say this, everyone has asked me, do you think she was murdered? No, I don't think she was murdered. I think she didn't want to get on the plane and everyone was getting annoyed. And because they didn't listen to her wishes, because they didn't accept no, they found a way around it. I just what, wonder what the what the ultimate factor was to get the, the pilot to change his mind. Because as you write, he was so, and this is more rhetorical than anything, something changed where he, he suddenly changed his mind and then it all, all the wheels spun into motion and then they're loading the plane and all, all the things. Uh, but, you know, I just, I, I, I want checks and balances for her, you know, like who is, mm-hmm. who is looking out for, not just for her, but for, there were nine souls lost in that flight. Yes. You know, who, who, <clears throat> I, I realized, you know, you want to, you want to go home or you want to go back to the States and you, you know, whatever, but it's been a long weekend of shooting this video, but I mean, it's, it's lives here that were lost and it just, it would have just taken one person putting their foot down, which you'd hope would be the pilot. I just wonder what changed his mind. I don't know. That's more rhetorical than anything. If you well, have any insight, I'd, I'd welcome it. But one person did put her foot down and no one listened to her. Yeah. And, and then she, she was the star of the show. Yeah. 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 Well, that's yes. Amen to that. So, okay. Switch, switching gears here for a second. God, that makes me so upset. <laughs> um, Same. Oh, man. Um, so obviously, Alia was an immensely talented performer, both a singer, a budding actress, but many you interviewed for the book described her as angelic and 
quote in your words, how she lit up a room and made it her unspoken mission to brighten up people's days, end quote. So she always had such an air of mystery to her. So who at her core being, you know, you know her so well as her biographer and the research you've done, who at her core do you think she was outside of being a performer? I think at her core, Aaliyah was someone who every day chose kindness. And I think that she was a person who um, aimed to brighten someone's day, no matter who she met, you know, the, the thing about people who endure a lot is they either choose bitterness or they choose kindness. Mm, Yes. A lot of times there's just no, and Aliyah chose kindness. And I think that she was a person who made everyone feel welcome. Like she was the, she was a person who saw the human in everyone, Mm. which is why it's really upsetting that over the years, we haven't seen the human in her. Yeah. She's like some mythical demigod figure now, you know, absolutely. And, but she was like, we were talking offline. She's a human being, you know, she's a human being. She's someone's daughter. Yes. All of it flaws, well-rounded, you know, like all of us. And, you know, I, we were talking offline as well about that 106 and park interview, her last interview before she went down to the Bahamas and you talk about kindness. Um, Remember, I mean, I know you've seen this a million times. Remember when the guy wins the car, (laughs) <laughs> yes and he's so nervous because he's like oh my gosh I'm standing right next to Alia like this is like you know he's just probably like what I just want a car and this is like the most beautiful woman in the world standing next to me and she is so kind to this guy who you know she doesn't know this guy I mean it, it, it's just like such like you can just you can't fake that you know you just, can't just, she's genuinely kind and good from the inside out. Um, I would encourage anybody listening to go watch that clip. It's like five minutes long and, um, you just see her humanity in that video. I, I think, you know, more, more than you ever could on a, on a beautiful music video shoot, you know? Absolutely. So it seemed impossible to not fall in love with her. Jay-Z did, Timbaland did, Damon Dash did. She was so happy. And that makes me, that gives me a peace and comfort to know that she really was happy in the weeks leading up to her death. She was deeply in love with Damon Dash, but another man fell in love with her and she became his victim. And that of course is R. Kelly, who is the kind of proverbial elephant in the room of the book, which you addressed head on um, saying that you have, you know, you can't not talk about this because it was a part of her life and she was a victim. So tell, talk to us if you will, about what you learned about their relationship. You call Aaliyah, for example, a survivor of R. Kelly's. Yeah. Initially, um, you know, I sold the book um, specifying that I was only going to focus on 96 to 2001 Mm -hmm. um, because I didn't want to get a book deal based upon R. Kelly. Right. And a lot of my interviews for, um, for selling the book said, you know, we can make this big if you talk about R. Kelly, you know, like this. And, and you know, I I didn't want to line my pockets in telling Aaliyah's story. I would have done this for free. Mm-hmm. So I made it a point to, even if it was a temporary emotion, say that I didn't want to talk about this. Mm-hmm. And I, I meant that in that moment, right? Mm-hmm. And then I saw the second part of uh, Surviving R. Kelly, mm-hmm. where Damon Dash talks about the whole situation and calls it what it really is. You know, um, it was abuse in 
It's Ross. She was Ross Torm. Yeah. Yes. And it hit me at, at that point where I said, you know, by not discussing this, we're once again protecting our Kelly and not Aliyah. Oh, yes. True. So I had made that decision to talk about it, you know, and, and, and then the idea of Aliyah passing, she didn't survive. It was a plane crash. It wasn't an illness. It wasn't, you know, self-inflicted. <clears throat> she never was given the title of a survivor because she didn't survive mm. one traumatic event. But guess what? She survived another. Wow. And we had to, we have to acknowledge it, but we also have to honor it. And it's uncomfortable, much like the nature of all these weird details of how she died. But I didn't write a book to make everyone comfortable. Mm. We've been living in the comfort of assuming that R. Kelly was her boyfriend or in the comfort that she boarded a plane that went right to heaven. That's not what happened. Yeah. A human being suffered, survived, evolved into an icon, remained kind, remained loving, remained angelic died unfairly and 20 years later is still regarded as a visionary that is still in many ways underappreciated oh totally yes and I love I think maybe the thing I love the most about this book is that you humanize her because there's there's just there's narratives with her she's a plane crash victim right then she's then it's the R. Kelly stuff and then and then it's you know she's a talented performer but you know she's a, a woman a woman, a a human being. And I think, you know, maybe it's just me, but I feel like she was older than she was, first of all, because she was so mature always, but because she also got her start so young, she was only 22 when she passed away, which, you know, maybe to me at 14 or 15, uh, that, that didn't seem old then, but it seems I'm 30, almost 35 next month. That seems incredibly young now. Like, I mean, like baby level. And, you know, she had so much more to give. You write that she quote had unrealized potential where Alia was just warming up for a bright future ahead of her end quote. So I'm dying to ask you this question. How do you think the music industry would be different had she lived to the present day? (laughs) I, I think about this a lot because I, I think about it because <clears throat> we don't have her music available yet on streaming services, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's no blatant comparison to line things up side by side sonically mm-hmm. in with um with speed, right? Without having to pull some sort of rough cut on on YouTube. But if you listen to most of the R&B music and pop music right now, it is all taken from Aliyah's playbook yeah like every last bit of it yes there's new elements that have been added wonderful okay but the fusion of electronic and R&B and hip-hop and pop and just fused together um with delicate vocals right Mm -hmm. because you know Aliyah never belted she wasn't a balladeer right Mm -hmm. she used her voice to accompany the production Mm -hmm. Her voice was a part of the beat. Yeah. 
which is very different for some other artists and, and some of the music that we had um, grown accustomed to over the years. But if you listen to the newer artists right now who are direct, um, dis, direct, I don't want to say children of Aliyah, but they, they come from that same um, she line. She opened those doors for, for them. She opened those doors completely. And I think had she been here still, I'm not sure what 42 year old Aliyah would be like in the music industry right now. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, you know, I, I think that she would be as iconic. People always ask me that. Do I think that if she were still alive, would she be this well-regarded? A hundred percent. Yes. No doubt. No question in my mind. Yeah. She was just getting started. I mean, yeah, she was, and she was rising and that's the thing. Yeah. You no, know, we hadn't even seen close to the best of what she could give. I truly believe that. A hundred percent. And I think that she would have still been iconic and who knows, because, you know, the other thing that a lot of people didn't know is that Aaliyah helped a lot with her songwriting and her production work. Mm -hmm. And I would be curious to see what would have happened with that over the years had she become more hands-on publicly. Mm -hmm. um, on top of her acting career, yeah, where that would have taken her. Mm -hmm. um, I think that the, the sky was the limit, you know, um, for her. And I think that a lot of artists couldn't, couldn't replicate her if she were still here. Yeah. You know, it's easy to quote unquote borrow from the source when the source isn't present. Mm, true. So I what mean, would have look, happened, right? Yeah. Like look at, you can name a, a singer today that you love and look at their look at their Wikipedia page and see who their influences are. And, and Alia is there 95% of them. Yes, 100%. Seriously. Yes. Right. Because she is, she, she, even in her short life, just had a catalog of music that just was, it was, it was, it was her, you know, and no one could be her like her. And yes, there's been, there've been many invitations, but I, I just think that she would have had just, I mean, she, I totally think that at 42, she would still be performing. I mean, and, and I do too. would have won, you know, Grammys, Oscar, all of it, you know, she, she just was so, because she, she not only was talented, but she was a good person and attracted good. And I, I just, this is just kind of breaks my heart. And I, I, I know that you say in your acknowledgements that this book is a love letter to Alia, um, which I appreciated because it, it feels it, it's it's very um, well reported, and you know you you do your job, but it's also clear that you are a fan and and you love her. And so, what you know, not just teenage or twenty something you when she passed, but now at forty two, um, what has she meant to your life? Oh, um, I. You know, I, I'm looking right now at a picture of her on mm -hmm. my wall mm -hmm. and I don't want to move my laptop because, um, you know, I don't want to mess up the sound of this. Yeah. Um, but I'm looking at this picture of her and Aliyah's always been on my mental vision board. Right. And I keep her in mind at all times because I always try to choose kindness Sometimes it doesn't work when you're on the internet and you have like 15 year old trolls who are really trying to like work your nerves, especially with misinformation and having not even read the book on days like this, you yeah. know, you, you have to remember to choose kindness. Um, 
everyone's hurting in their own way because she's gone. Um, but even beyond, before even writing this book, I always chose kindness because of her. Um, I always opted to be my most authentic self because of her. I'm not a fan of dresses, you know, I wear them when I have to. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> there are times, and, and I lie to you not, where I'll be re- um, getting ready to go somewhere. And I'm like, should I wear a dress for this? And I always think to myself, this isn't Alia at the Oscars. Like, go, you know, be, 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 be you. Like, it's, and, and I think about those things. And I've thought about those things over the years before this book even entered my orbit, you know, um, before anything, I was still listening to her music every single week. I had, I have everything. I have the physical collection mm-hmm. and I have my, um, I have all of my CDs digitized. Mm -hmm. So I've had the luxury of her music consistently, you know, Um, and I honored, you know, um, every anniversary, every milestone over the years, her birthday, the day we lost her. Like, these are things that I continuously have celebrated because I have continuously just celebrated her. Because even, even outside of this book, I always wanted to keep Alia at the forefront of everyone's minds because somebody forget her because she's no, and she's someone who influenced me so much, you Mm. know, she's some that day, August 25th, 2001, I, in so many weird ways, I feel like I lost one of my best friends, right? Mm. Yeah. And, and I continued to honor her and, you know, I just, I, I, I felt like with this book, you know, I was coming off God save the Queens, you know, my, um, my book on the history of women in hip hop, mm-hmm. where I honored all the women in hip hop for 40 plus years. Yeah. And I was like, who is the next woman you want to honor? And that, when I was thinking about the next book, and here um, she is. And here she is. So 20 years, it just in the blink of an eye, I feel like has, has passed. Um, what do you think her lasting legacy is, Kathy? Huh. Good question. Um, well, on the positive side, <clears throat> I think that her lasting legacy is that timelessness is real. Mm. Um, It's not always achieved, but she made it tangible. Wow. Um, On the other side, after people read this book, I hope that her lasting legacy is to protect women, especially Mm. black women, to listen to women, especially black women, and to understand that calling you strong isn't always a compliment if you don't back it up with support for the person. So it's twofold. Gosh, that's so deep. Thank you so much, Kathy, for for joining me here today. It's such a great book about such a remarkable woman who has gone far, far too soon, 20 years ago. Unbelievable. Thank you for being here today. Thanks, Rachel. Such a powerful conversation. Thank you, Kathy. 
Next week, we'll return with Gary Ginsburg, author of First Friends, the powerful, unsung, and unelected people who shaped our presidents. We'll see you next Monday. And until then, have a great week.